Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Megan Lyons. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Henry. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you with us. You know, Megan is a small business owner, a coach, a speaker, an author, and the founder of the Lions Share Wellness. Uh, through the Lions Share Wellness, she offers personalized one-on-one health coaching, and she does that to help people achieve their healthiest and happiest selves by finding the balance of nutrition and fitness that works for their unique body. She empowers busy people like us who successfully balance work, family, social life, businesses, and all other commitments, but who struggle with their health. And she helps those people to finally reach their goals and feel confident about their bodies. In addition to health coaching, she offers corporate wellness programming, keynote speaking on nutrition and general health, group coaching programs, periodics, as she calls resets, uh, coaching for aspiring other aspiring health coaches, and lots more. Her book is Start Here, Seven Easy Diet-Free Steps to Achieve Your Ultimate Health and Happiness. And very interestingly, and one of the things that caught my attention, catches a lot of people's attention, is Megan graduated from Harvard, got an MBA then at Northwestern, and was in the corporate management world, corporate consulting world with McKinsey, so at the top of the food chain there, and then decided to chase her passion instead for helping others And that's when she started the Lion's Share back in January of 2014. Uh, Since then, she has created a consistent six-figure business that not only does it fulfill her, but has changed the life and health of thousands of her clients. And she now loves what she does every day, which is a huge thing. We're going to talk about that. Uh, Megan lives in Dallas, Texas with her husband, so near me here. And so today we're going to dive into Megan's journey from her impressive formal education, a top career in, in, in managing consulting, and then leaving all of that and starting her own business. There's a lot there that I think will be inspirational and then we can learn about how she did it. Because I know for me, as an example, it was a challenge to transition from the corporate world and that relative safety to taking on the the risk and the unknown of starting a business. So with all that said, Megan Lyons, once again, welcome to the show. Thank you again. So good to have you. Um, So one thing as I was doing the research that you have a problem with, and I do as well, is traffic. Ah, yes. (laughs) I do have a problem with traffic, so much so that I chose my office to be half mile from my house, so I walk here every day. That's nice. I get it. I home office. And and so I'm glad when you said that because I see, I haven't shown it or played it for my wife yet. She gets so frustrated with me because anytime we go anywhere that includes getting on 635 or 35, yeah. those those are our main highways here in Dallas for people listening. I just, you know, it doesn't take me but a moment before I'm nodding my head and in this in disgust and disapproval and I get all tense and frustrated and stressed out the moment I get on any highway. You know, you and I both, I consider myself a patient person and a (laughs) calm person and I meditate every day. I do all these things, but traffic just is Uh, one of those things that pushes my buttons. 
Oh my gosh. Do you think it's a control thing? Like we can't control it. I'm, and, um, and then, so we get so frustrated with how people are driving because we're the perfect driver. I'm certain it's at least in part a control thing. You're <laughs> yeah, exactly right that. there. And the other part is an efficiency thing. I am yes, yes. multitasking or, uh, even if not multitasking, which is better, I'm being productive. I'm focused. Mm -hmm. I'm doing something that I want to do. And traffic is not ever in my schedule. I never schedule to sit <laughs> in traffic, even if I it know. means listening to the best podcast out there. It's not, uh, not my idea of a good time. Exactly. And I, you know, I think that point about fixing it and, and being efficient, I think that's one of those characteristics that leads us to becoming business owners and entrepreneurs is we always look at the problems in the world and we think, oh, I could do that better. I could fix that. I think I have a better way. Yes. But anyway. It works for us in many situations, just not the traffic one. <laughs> not the traffic. Exactly right. All right. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, you studied at, not studied, you graduated from Harvard mm -hmm. with a degree in economics. Yes. Then later on, uh, MBA from Northwestern after you had been at McKinsey. Yes. What did you, was that what you aspired to be when you grew up when you were younger or was it just a path that you were on for other reasons? I, my path is always to be the best that I can be at any given time. And so as a high school, even as a middle schooler and then a high schooler, I had no idea what I wanted to be. I really looked up to my dad, who was an accountant uh, for his whole professional career. And in my middle school language, that was just business. I didn't really know that there was anything, uh, any nuance to business. I knew he was a hmm. businessman and he went to an office and he was important and he uh, did a lot of hard work all day and then came home and felt fulfilled. And so that's what I wanted to do. And not knowing really what business meant, in my mind, that was I have to be the best I can be in high school. I have to do go to the best school I can get into and do my best there. And so uh, no one in my family had ever gone to an Ivy League school. My parents, in fact, until the night before I sent in my decision card, they were begging me not to go to Harvard um, because they just thought it would eat me alive and, and I wouldn't have any fun. Uh, but mm. in my mind, that was my path. It was to be the very best and get the best education I could. So no, I didn't always want to be a management consultant, but by the time recruiting season came along, I found that everyone at my school either wanted to be in investment banking or management consulting. And I had tried out banking the summer before. It wasn't really uh, my thing. I, I liked the experience, but it didn't feel like a great fit. So I thought, why not go for management consulting? And then why not try to get an offer with the best firm out there? So that was my path. Yeah. And you did. So was your mom wrong? Did you have fun at Harvard? Oh, it was the best for so many reasons. And and both my parents will now agree that um, they're glad that I went there. I, it was such an amazing melting pot of people from so many different areas and so many different desires and so many different experiences in the past. There are just so many opportunities there to do whatever you wanted to do. I was overwhelmed by doing so much community service and obviously education and, and schoolwork and fun. Like I did the dance team and I did social groups and things like that. Um, so I really, I had the best experience. I would go back tomorrow in a heartbeat if I had the opportunity. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so you got this great education. You're at McKinsey, top of the food chain, as I said. Uh, by the way, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in the Dallas area? Uh, so you're a, a true Texan, so I'm going to have to say no. I grew yeah. up in, in Connecticut. I moved to Dallas in fifth grade. So I feel like okay. I'm from Dallas, but not yeah. really. Yeah, close enough. I, I actually was born in Houston, but grew up in South Florida ah. and then moved here when I was 25. And I've been here for 30 years now. Okay. Uh, so I, I'm also kind of, I can say I'm native because I was born here. So that kind of gives me a pass. Yes. But I, but I didn't grow up here, but interesting. Um, okay. So you're there in this career. Everything was great, I'm assuming, or was it? And then what, what begins to happen that leads you to feel like that was not it? I'm an optimist. Actually, I say that and I'm not sure that's true. I, I believe my true nature is a pessimist and I've done a lot of work on myself to become an optimist because I'm much more mm. comfortable this way. Uh, but one of my talents as a, a newborn optimist is that I make the most of any situation. So I loved work, especially the first three years. I loved the opportunities I was getting. The people were super smart. They were throwing me in front of CEOs and giving me really complex problems to solve. So it was no problem. And then I went to business school and everyone was just talking about follow your passion and live your dream. And these were things that were not really on my path. My path, as I mentioned, was do the best, be the best, keep working. And I hadn't really thought as crazy as that sounds about what my passion was. It was really hard for me to think about that. So I did some thinking there and I think that's where the seed was planted. Uh, but I went back to McKinsey and the next two years there were from the outside. I think I was still in that uh, optimist, like, oh, I'm going to make the most of it. But inside, when you're not doing what you love and you have an idea for what you want to do, those traveling 48 weeks a year and, and working 80 hours a week, it just kind of starts to eat away at you. And so that was not as happy those two years. What was the idea that started to formulate? Uh, so in business school, when everyone was saying, follow your passion, I literally had to do some introspection and just sit down and think, what is my passion? And nutrition had never occurred to me as a career, but I had always, uh, I guess since college, I had been interested in how different fueling protocols impacted me and my energy levels. And I had gotten into exercising and I was going to nutrition conferences. I was even getting a, a health coaching certification on the side just because I love education. And still it didn't smack me over the head until I sat down to think about it that, wow, this could be a job. Uh, it just kind of seemed like a side thing that, um, that I, I did in my spare time. But once I started realizing nutrition was really my passion and realizing how much it changed my life, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to help other people who don't know that much about nutrition? They could feel this great too. Uh, and so at that point, that was really all it was. I didn't know what the business model would look like, but the, the snowball kept growing, kept building in the back of my mind. Wow, I want to do this one-on-one -on -one work. I want to help people live their best lives and just kind of formed from there over the next couple of years. And back then, as it was forming, did you believe then or was one of the barriers then that 
the money maybe wasn't there to replace what you were making and the potential for what you could make in your career? Yes and no. I have kind of a funny relationship with money. Um, I don't, I, I do appreciate money and I, you know, I, I'm not scared of money. I don't have a negative feeling about money. I'm just honestly not that motivated by money, which is different from a lot of people with my background and, and who live in my world. And so it was more of a status thing that was scary to me. I can get by with however much money I want I had or I needed to. And I'm fortunate that my husband at the time that I left McKinsey, he was at McKinsey. So um, we were kind of comfortable with that uh, financial situation. But the status thing was really eating away at me because I I could gain a lot of self-worth false self-worth, I will add from, oh, I go to Harvard, I went to Northwestern, I work at McKinsey. And then if you strip that all away and I'm like, ooh, I'm starting this business that I don't know if it's going to be successful and it's really just me and I'm not aspiring to be the next Google or anything like that. It was a big kind of uh, a scary blow to the ego, I guess you'll say. Yeah, no, and, and that's a that's a huge point. A lot of people face that Looking back, do you think, I mean, part of it, as you said, was your drive to achieve, your drive to learn, uh, to do the best at anything you did. But were there also that was that external measure of of stroking the ego that, wow, she got the Harvard degree and wow, she went to Northwestern and wow, she's at McKinsey. Did you come to a point where you felt a lot of that was what you were getting from others in the way of praise for those achievements? A hundred percent. I feel like you're my therapist right now. And, and that's a good <laughs> thing. Um, I have in my office right across from my eye level, a little uh, sunrise picture that says you are enough at the bottom. Mm. And I have had to remind myself this over and over and over throughout my life. It's not the Harvard that makes me enough. It's that I'm me. And that's a really hard thing for someone who's always hidden behind these achievement kind of plaques that can be put on the wall. Yeah. Okay. So bring me then to you've de- you developed this idea. Did you then work on a business plan and financial projections while you were still at McKinsey? How, how did the plan get to a point where, okay, now I've got a business model I think I'm ready to go execute on? Yeah, we're safely on the other side, so I can let you know what really happened. But <laughs> at right. the time, uh, I, I was thinking of the idea. I brought it to my HR person at McKinsey, and they were very vehement, like, this is not allowed. You are not allowed to do business planning. You're not allowed to start something on the side. I wanted to just create a, quote, business that would be practice and not charge anyone for it. Just kind of see if I could do it on the weekends. And they were really opposed to that. Um, so I was were you, a little, were you surprised by that? By I that reaction? was really surprised by that. I I get it from their perspective. They want a hundred percent of your brain power and your energy, uh, but but I felt I truly did feel like it was a place that cared about their employees. And if I wanted to do this to be happy, I really thought that they would let me do it to be happy. Now, of course, then they thought, would I leave and and turn this into a full time thing? So I do get it from their perspective, but I kind of walked away with my tail between my legs, thinking, oh bummer. So maybe I'm stuck here. I can't do that. Um, yeah. And and my 
transition then was to start a blog. So I started a blog in 2013, the year before I left, and I just started publishing. I think at that point I was publishing three times a week about my health tips for traveling uh, consultants or what I was eating for breakfast or anything that I wanted to just to get the, get my toe wet and, and see mm-hmm. if I liked this world of health. And I really did. I was getting good feedback from the blog. I was enjoying doing it, even though I would do it at midnight or 1 a.m. after I finished my work. I really loved it. Um, and then towards the end, I knew I was going to leave in January. Um, I did start business planning, I would say probably October or something like that. And I, I solidified a pretty good, pretty explicit plan. I do love my Excel. I do love projections. <laughs> I will say that it didn't all come true. I, I believe so firmly in business planning as an exercise, but I've yet to meet someone who followed exactly the path laid out by their business plan. So I was just a good, good exercise. Yeah, no, a lot of good stuff there. So I want to break it down a little bit. Um, The blog then, it sounds like it served for you to kind of validate that this really was something that had some depth to it for you as far as your interest, but also to start to create a bit of an audience, a bit of a following and validate some things. Is that fair? Both were true because of me hiding behind that achievement. If I left McKinsey and I felt unsatisfied personally, and no one liked what I was doing, that would be like the ultimate failure. So I had to make sure that none of those were true. Right. And then the whole thing with McKinsey, by the way, this is not to pick up McKinsey. Every, in my experience, that's why I want to come back to this point, because it's so critical. Um, My advice that I give clients now who are in the corporate world is to not say anything. In fact, to keep it very separate for all kinds of different reasons. And so it's not just a company like McKinsey. All large corporations, while in my experience, this is my opinion, while they are trying to provide a semblance of balance in life, the truth is they they need you and are paying you to be their exclusive resource. And that, but that has to have been then one of those things that very clearly signaled to you, wait a second, what is the trade-off I'm making here for what I'm investing and what I'm getting in return and where I'm going? That's absolutely right. And I'm glad you cast a positive light on them. I am so grateful for my time at McKinsey. I would do it again if I had to relive those years of my life. Maybe I would have left six months earlier, but in general, I would do those entire, all the years that I spent at McKinsey. I appreciate it so much for what I learned and the connections I made and the opportunities I got. Uh, And I think it made me a stronger person and business person. Uh, But yes, it did make me think, wow, if they want 100% of me, is this enough? Is is what I have here at McKinsey, is that enough to make me fulfilled? If I only had 10 more years of life to live, would this be it? And I could not answer that in the affirmative. And some people honestly can't. And so I think McKinsey is a fantastic place for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the biggest hurdle though was, because it sounds like, as you've described financially, you all had not uh, over leveraged yourself. It doesn't sound like you were living beyond your means. So, so that those things were in place, which are huge and critical. You didn't do that. The biggest barrier though, from what I've read before and you shared with me prior is just that, again, that ego, the the uh, perception, that fear of what others were going to think. So tell me more about that and how big 
of a hindrance that was and, and how you overcame that? Oh, good question. Um, it was a big hindrance. And I think when I am very scared, very emotional, very passionate about something, I will put on a great front to the exterior, but if I say it to my parents or my husband, I'll break Mm. down crying. And so when I told them that I wanted to do this, I started crying. My husband was like, okay, if that's going to make you happier, because he saw I was stressed out, he was on board. My mom was the typical mom, like, oh, you can do anything you set your mind to. (laughs) And my dad, you could just see it in his eyes. Oh, my goodness. Are you serious? (laughs) Um, He He was worried, right? He was worried about what you were doing, I suspect. Exactly. He does not want me to feel uh, like a failure or me to Mm -hmm. feel crushed by my ego, anything like that. And so he saw, okay, you're doing well at your job right now. Why would you leave that and put yourself up to so much risk? He cared about Mm -hmm. me so much that, and he didn't have experience in the entrepreneurial world. um, So he didn't really know how to protect me there. So those three people were the hardest to tell, even though they were the most supportive in the end. Um, And then how did I overcome it to the exterior? Yeah, How did you find the courage to do it anyway? Mm -hmm. I had to spend so much time convincing myself and and validating with myself that this was what I was meant to do and that I could make a big impact. And that honestly, I believed that I could be successful. I would not have left if I didn't think I could reach my goals and success for you, for the listeners might mean uh, something financial, might mean something, some number of people you can help, might mean some kind of lifestyle you create for yourself. For me, it was all three of those. I had financial benchmarks. I had number m- numbers of clients I wanted to serve and a lifestyle that I envisioned for myself. And I through business planning, through self-reflection, through just kind of pep talking myself, I really did believe I could do it. I don't think that you can be a successful entrepreneur if deep down you don't believe in yourself. I know that sounds cliche, but I, I truly believe that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think everything you said is, is spot on to my experience as well. Um, and it's so critical. Now, again, and your personality is like mine, where we're very analytical. So I needed to put together when I go onto a new venture and my first one, I needed to analyze it. But at some point, what I struggle with is overanalyzing it and hiding behind the data and doing yet another iteration of the of the uh, pro forma. Uh, did you struggle with that? I love that you use the word hiding because I have this graph. I, when I coach other um, aspiring health coaches, I have this graph of my career progression and the first three months are called my hiding period. I did everything in those three months, like redo my business plan a million times, create client worksheets for clients I didn't even have yet, Mm. analyze all different things that didn't need to be analyzed because I was scared of putting myself out there. Um, and I'm more comfortable hiding behind Excel than going to a new networking group and and pretending that I'm confident. So I did that. I hid for a few months, but eventually I realized that wasn't going to reach my goals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, having your husband's support, I think, is critical as well. I think if we've got that support from someone who's close to us, we need that, I think, to take that final step and, and take the leap. 
Absolutely. He is such a great supporter and it's very, his goals are so simple and so adorable. If I do, I know I'm biased because he's my husband, but he just wants me to be happy. He would never want to be a health coach. And so it's not that he relates to it. It's just that he sees how happy I am and that's it for him. That's his number one goal. And that's really um, sweet and helpful to have that backing. All right. So talk to me about funding the business. You, you probably started small, so I want to understand that. Financially, as we've touched on, your personal finances were in order. Your husband still had a good paying job. Uh, did you? How did you start it? Was it all with your own money? Tell me about that. Yeah, it was all with my own, our own money. Um, we basically had three, six, nine, and 12 month benchmarks where I sat down. Oh my goodness. This, uh, it kind of makes me laugh how nerdy (laughs) it is, but it worked for us. It works for us. I sat down and had PowerPoint presentations of business reviews for (laughs) six, nine and 12 months. And we had specific goals. So if this much money, if this much revenue brought in, then, I get another three months. If this much, a level below, then maybe I get a, or not maybe, definitely I get a part-time job. And if the bottom level, then I need to go look for a full-time job and I can keep doing this business on the side. And that's how we did it for the first year. In terms of funding it, there was very little need. I would say at the beginning, $10,000 or less in terms of supplies and marketing materials, website hosting and things like that. And that was all funded from our savings. And then, like I said, if if I had not developed significant or what we deemed at that time to be significant revenue after a year, that was our cutoff. That would have meant it's uh, it was a nice experiment, but it's time to move on. Yeah, I, I love that. There's so much in that, Megan, because uh, what I find a lot of people will do is they they almost they don't want to look at the numbers. They kind of want to lie to themselves. And then what ends up happening is you keep putting more and more money or sacrificing more and more into a business that's not going to make it. I got to think that those, I call them go, no go gates or, or events, that that was critical to driving you to that level of success because you had it so measured as to what that had to be for you to go forward. I truly don't know if I can express the power of writing numbers on paper or in my case in Excel, the craziest thing that has ever happened to me was in my 2015 yearly goals, I had a I had monthly revenue goals. I had obviously that totaled to a yearly revenue goal. And we were flying, we were getting on an airplane for Christmas with my husband's family. It was the end of December and I wasn't going to see any more clients for the rest of the year. Hmm. And I had pushed so hard to get every monthly revenue number and I was going to fall just a, a, a little over a thousand dollars short, but it was a weird number. It was like 12, I think 1239 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And on the plane, as we were flying there, I got two transactions coming in that wow. totaled exactly my yearly revenue goal. And that was the craziest thing. That's crazy. Me. 
it was so crazy. I took a picture of the that spreadsheet and those numbers, and it hasn't happened to the dollar like that since then, but I so closely approximate my monthly and yearly revenue goals, and I believe part of it's the law of attraction, but part of it is also I will keep pushing myself to reach the goals that I set for myself. And it's not that I'm trying to cheat people out of money or anything like that. It's legitimately earned money. It's just that um, we as entrepreneurs, we can focus on something. We can focus on a target we have. If we don't have that target, we're just wandering aimlessly. Yeah, I agree. I love that. I think that's so true. And again, it, it kind of sometimes can sound hokey that it came through in the end, but but there really is something to the whole visualization and having that in your head and writing it down and achieving, even if, even if it's just general goals. But I, I've found that to be the case in my life and in my business as well. All right. So if you think back to before you launched, we've talked about some of the fears. A lot of them were perception or ego-based. What else? What else were you afraid of? And and let me maybe ask it this way, because this is a question I like to ask myself. Back then, what did you think your worst case scenario would have been? Oh, my worst case scenario. So if the business failed completely, what what would have happened? I think two things would have happened. Number one, I would get a few clients and I would not be able to help them. So I was so, I knew a lot about nutrition, but I was so nervous that they would ask me a question that I didn't know the answer to, or um, that I wouldn't be able to help them reach their goals for some reason. And that has been further from the truth than I can express. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's one aspect. The other aspect is I just wouldn't have hit those benchmarks and I would have had to admit defeat to myself and, and my former colleagues and my family and all that kind of stuff. But at that point in time, you would have gotten a job and probably gotten one within a week, right? I'm exaggerating. But, but your worst case scenario, sometimes I ask people to think through that because it's really not that bad unless we've really sacrificed our entire family fortune or bet the house or whatever the situation might be. For most of us, the worst case scenario often has a lot to do with the bruising of our ego and our perception or others' perception of us is what I've found. Exactly right. Yes. All right. So you touched on it, but the experience you had in the corporate world, especially at McKinsey, how has that helped you become a better business owner? And also, where has it perhaps hindered you? I think it has helped me because I became such a great problem solver, uh, both through my education and there at McKinsey, I was constantly faced with problems that were hard to solve intellectually and just logistically. And I always just kept pushing through them. And as entrepreneurs, we face a lot of problems every day. Mm -hmm. But if we throw our hands up and say, oh, I give up, then there's no one there to catch us versus at McKinsey, there would be someone there to catch me. So it was kind of a nice launching pad to um, learn to problem solve without too much risk. Now I can do that on my own. Um, And in terms of where it hindered me, I think 
I jokingly say, but it's it's not really a joke. One thing that I miss most is having an IT department and mm-hmm. a travel department and a graphics department, all these kind of things that um, as an entrepreneur starting out, you do them yourself. So I did miss that, especially at the beginning. Now I'm fortunate to be building a team of just, we have four other people in addition to me that can help me with some of that stuff. Uh, but it was definitely a rude awakening at the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's so common. That was a challenge for me as well. And for the clients that I work with is you're, you, you, you get used to having those resources and be able to call somebody else and say, Hey, solve this problem for me. But now when we get started, especially when we start small, like you did, that other department is me. Yeah, I have yeah. to get this solved. I got to get it all solved. Now we get smarter about uh, leveraging uh, outsourced resources and partnering and hiring all the right people. And but still, I think you you miss that that resources and like you said, the being able to fail, and it's not the end of the world, right? The business is probably not going to shut down if you make a mistake uh, when right. you're when you're working in the corporate world. Has much more impact when it's your business. Yes, uh, but the but the problem solving is so big, Megan. I think that's such a critical skill that you developed that is critical to success in small business. Yes, I agree. I'm very grateful for that. Something I'm constantly working on, continuing to be a good problem solver. But it's a a challenge I'm up to facing. Yeah, absolutely. So when people ask you for advice on on making that transition, they're in the corporate world and they've got an idea. What are some of the things you offer in the way of advice typically? I would say two categories of things. One I touched on before is just believe you can do it. Until you believe fully, until you have that confidence, even if you're faking it just a little bit, you have Mm -hmm. 60% of your brain that says, yes, I can do it. And 40% says, ooh, I'm nervous. I don't know if I can do it. You have to listen to that 60%. Have that confidence, own it, and believe you can do it. And along those lines, put yourself out there. Just like we talked about with my hiding period, that wasn't getting me where I needed to go in business. It was not until I started putting myself out there. I, I sent press releases to local newspapers uh, mm. about starting my business. I went to networking groups. I started talking to my friends about my business. I started uh, posting on Facebook. I started just putting myself out there. And from there, it I could experience the growth. And the flip side of that, point number two of advice is to set your own boundaries early. It's something that I didn't do. I was so excited to have clients of any form at the beginning that if they wanted to meet me Saturday at 9 p.m., I would do it. Or Monday at 5 a.m., I would do it. And I was not setting boundaries early on. I was constantly on my phone Uh, texting my clients and supporting them. And not only was that annoying to myself and more importantly, my husband, but I also was not setting them up for success. They were becoming so reliant on me that they couldn't do it in the absence of me responding to their texts all the time. So uh, be confident, put yourself out there and set your own boundaries. Interesting. On the boundaries, you think you would have done that differently though at the beginning? I I think I would have. Um, I can think of a couple of clients that had success as they were working with me. And then unfortunately, once they stopped working with me, 
they either gained the weight back or developed, uh, fell back to their own habits or their old habits. And that to me is painful. I mean, I, you might hear it in my voice. I really feel sad about those experiences and, and wanting to help them more. So I wish I had empowered them more right out of the get go. Now, those are, I'm specifically thinking of two clients and I've seen mm-hmm. several hundred. So I can't let myself uh, beat myself up over those specific clients. But I think Uh, In that way, I definitely would have done it different. And honestly, yes, even in terms of taking care of myself, no one would have balked if I had said, oh, my hours are 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday. But because I didn't say my hours are X, my hours were implicitly everything. Yeah, but but Megan, that's isn't that what got you in large part to where you were as far as success in life is that drive that we you know what we call work ethic that all all in sacrificing everything it's hard to then throttle that back you've had to because we have to but it but that's hard to do initially isn't it well it was very hard to do because i didn't do it <laughs> um, so so i guess the answer is i don't really know this was the only way i know it like you said this is my nature it's my nature to drive and keep pushing and do everything it takes to reach my goals so i don't know what it would have been like maybe i wouldn't have been as successful if I had set the boundaries and then I would be here talking to you saying, <laughs> I wish I were more open. So right. I guess, I guess I don't really know. Yeah. On this topic, and I've heard you talk about this in, on other shows and in other uh, content that I research here, you've found, you've started to find a, a balance and a prioritization, prioritization of family and yourself. Uh, share with us, because for small business owners, of course, as we're just talking about, that's such a big challenge. It can consume us even more so than that corporate job that was demanding, uh, because now we're building something that's ours. And and it's and for as we just talked about, for a lot of us, including myself, it's the only way we know how to do something. I'll just throw more hours at it. I'll put more effort into it. What are some of those things that you're doing now, some of those tips you can share practical things that you do now to, to help strike that balance and manage your time? Yes. So it sounds a little crazy to some people, I'll warn you at the beginning, but I love that quote, discipline is freedom, because for me, that is so true. Calendaring and scheduling is, it just makes me happy. And so one thing I've implemented this year in 2018 Every single hour, 168 hours of the week are scheduled. And so I have free time Saturday from three to five, which again, sounds crazy to some people, but that gives me permission to do whatever I want. If I want to sit on the couch and read a book, I can do it. If I want to go get a massage, I can do it. I can do whatever I want guilt-free versus in the past, I would have been sitting there thinking, oh, I really should work on the business. I should do X. Because as an entrepreneur, there are always a thousand things you can do. I think if you're not having ideas of, of um, what you could be doing in business, then you've gotten too bored or complacent with your business. So giving myself permission via scheduling is really important. And same thing goes with my husband. I schedule time to be with my parents. I schedule time to be with my sister, with my husband. I schedule social time. Um, and that's all in my calendar. Otherwise, I, 
I wouldn't do it. And the other thing that helps me a lot is having a morning routine that's really early in the morning, but it sets me up to be productive and just kind of to feel centered as I start my day. Yeah, I love that. Great takeaways there. I, I do some of that as well. I'm not as granular as you are. I think you got to kind of find what works for you, but but yeah. find something that works from a management of your time perspective. I also, I'll schedule in when I'm going to go work uh, work out or go do something that has nothing to do with business. And I love your point about that if if you're not wanting to or, or not able or tempted to think about business 24-7, then something might be off there, right? And so we have to keep ourselves in check. The, the hardest thing I struggled with was almost like a, a guilt of, oh my gosh, I, I should be working on the business. Because to your point, there's always a thousand things to be done, right? And that's such a hard pull that you have to overcome. Mm-hmm. So now in managing the business, you've been at this for a bit now. It's a high level of success. You've expanded into a bunch of other services that we'll get to here in a moment. What, what, do you, what did you learn? What have you learned that has been surprising about running a business? Something that was a surprise or a particular challenge that did not translate over from your experience in the corporate world, what did you have to learn or what skills did you have to develop to be good at being a business owner? It might be a twist on what we talked about before, which is I think one of my strengths as an entrepreneur is failing quickly and just moving on from a failure versus before, like we said, if if you did fail or not solve a problem, someone would catch you mm-hmm. in the big web of McKinsey. Now no one catches me, but I have to be okay with it. So if I launch a program and I think it's an amazing program and it's going to help so many people and I get excited and put out the um, social media and all that and no one signs up. Well, my two goals are number one, learn what happened, see what I can take away to make my next program better. And number two, forget it. Do not let myself dwell on that and get it, throw a pity party for myself because that doesn't help anything or anyone. So I've learned and I've been surprised, honestly, by how much I have to fail and how quickly I can rebound from that. Yeah, yeah no, that's great. I love that. I love how you express that. That's, that's such a huge takeaway. Uh, who do you reach out to? Who do you consult with? Who are your mentors from a business perspective or maybe even from a personal perspective? Where do you go for help and guidance? Because as you know, especially in your environment where I don't, do you have any employees or is it all virtual? Um, so I have four contractors. They're okay. all uh, part-time contractors. With. Mm-hmm. So it can get very lonely as a business owner. And there's only so much we can talk about with your husband, because like you said, this isn't his passion. So right. where do you go for that feedback, that uh, support? Yeah, I, from an emotional side, I go to my dad. He, just like I said, was my first business mentor or role model, I guess, when I didn't know what business was. Um, And he's been a great support system just to kind of bounce big picture ideas off of and, and to help me see what feels good. He, he knows me very well. So he's a great source of inspiration and guidance. And then from a more tactical level, I have, I think three, three to four other business owners who are in similar fields, slightly different, like uh, meditation, personal training. One is in a business coaching role or uh, business coaching um, entrepreneur. And we talk, I'll call it once a month with each one of those 
just a, a general, how's it going? What challenges are you facing? How can I help you problem solve through this? And sometimes it's just, hey, I'm in the same boat. This is normal. You're doing okay. Keep it up. Uh, so having some of those friendships where it's not a competition thing, it's a mutual support thing has been really critical. Yeah, I can imagine that. That's that's huge. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. All right. The book, again, is Start Here, Seven Easy Diet-Free Steps to Achieve Your Ultimate Health and Happiness. What led you to writing the book? Oh, I kind of just thought, why not write a book? I have <laughs> of so course. Many- <laughs> exactly. I have so many uh, pet peeves, I guess, about the diet industry where it's a $60 billion industry because people are so hungry for the next sexy new thing. And that's why we have so many diets and so many trends and things like that. And it just left me frustrated thinking, why do we not pay attention to the basic health information? Everyone knows we should be drinking more water, but how do you do that? 75% of Americans are still chronically dehydrated. So clearly we're not listening. And I just wanted to put together some basic tips for someone who is just starting out and frustrated by the big diet industry like I was um, and and offer them some help. And then if they wanted to go further, then I thought they would work with me uh, because I was a trusted source of information for them. Love it. Love it. And the book was released when? In January 2016. Okay. And just as you were talking, I took a sip of water. So my wife and I had this conversation at lunch. She she used to drink more iced tea, as I tend to have a tendency to do as well, as opposed to water. But now she's gotten more conscious about drinking water. Why Why is water so much better than drinking something like iced tea throughout the day? Oh, I And, and, and unsweet, by the way. Not, not sweet tea, but unsweet tea. Okay. So you're making it better. Um, I do, I'm not opposed to unsweetened iced tea, actually. I think if you are hydrating adequately um, through that, you're probably fine. Now, there's something magical about water, and I'm talking literally the molecular structure of just plain water, that your body loves it. Your body lights up when you're getting that uh, plain, clear water. Your digestion improves, your mental clarity improves, um, your energy levels improve, your metabolism improves. So I do recommend having some plain water, but if it's unsweetened iced tea and it's real tea, it's actually brewed from tea leaves, I have no problem with that. I say you could get at least 50% of your water intake from that tea. Okay. All right. Good. Good. That makes me feel better. Thank you for that. All right. Uh, So we've touched around it, but summarize for us the services that you currently offer your clients. And and then I'd like to also understand who's an ideal client for you. Sure. Uh, So most of my business is the one-to-one nutrition consulting. And of course, it's the education piece, but it's really so much more than that. It's it's giving them hope. It's empowering them. It's helping them see their self-worth and believing in themselves like I had to believe in myself for business. Uh, So I don't really have a one-size-fits-all program. It's all customized. 
I see clients with type 2 diabetes very frequently. I see clients with uh, significant amounts of weight to lose, 100 or more pounds. I also see plenty of clients who are busy corporate executives or entrepreneurs, and they know they, quote, should be eating better and, and they would feel like they had more energy. Maybe they have those last 10 pounds to lose or something, but they just need some accountability and focus and motivation and, and skill set to reach their goals. So it's really all kinds of people. I think what sets me apart is the science-based um, approach that I take. I'm not going to tell you something that I just picked up in the grocery store aisle magazine. Um, I research everything and, and I'm really rooted in positivity. So a lot of people think of the nutritionist as someone who tells you, no, 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 can't have that. And I celebrate your successes instead. So I think my ideal client is busy. Uh, they might feel like they're out of options. They might have tried a lot of diets before or medications or whatever and just feel like, ugh, I'm kind of destined to, to feel like this for the rest of my life. That's my ideal client, a little bit out of hope. I'm going to bring the hope back. Um, and yeah, that's a, a bit about what I do. Yeah, that's fine. Do, do you uh, have a physical location? Is it a virtual business? Tell me a little bit about that. It's both. I have a physical location here in Uptown Dallas, and I would say about 50 to 60% of my clients see me in person face to face. Uh, but I also see clients all around the world, and I do that by Skype and phone. And then you also help other health coaches, right? You have a program for that as well. That is right. The Lion Share Coaching Academy is um, the way, the program that I started to help other aspiring health coaches primarily. Some people have gone through it that want to be business coaches or other types of coaches. Uh, and really, it, this is a, a virtual program. It's a self-paced academy. It's every step of the way that I uh, took to create my business. And it's been a really, really fun kind of side project. It's all tangentially related, of course, but it's been fun to coach some of those people. Yeah, good stuff. And as I was looking at it, of course, as I would only expect from you, Megan, it's all very well done, very professional, very thorough. Uh, it, it's good stuff. It's not something you just slap together with a couple of videos, right? Um, that is true. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of effort that went into that as into the book. Megan, what do you love most about being your own boss? Oh, I love the ability to set my own schedule as I talked about the schedule and how much that uh, appeals to me. And I love that I can wake up one day and say, ooh, I want to go follow this idea. And then two weeks later, it's reality. I can choose to do anything that I think will light me up, will help more people, will take care of the people that work with me. I really just love feeling, uh, maybe it's back to that control, which we started mm -hmm. with. I, I like that aspect of it. Yeah. And it also goes back to why if you have this desire, it's very hard to fulfill that in the corporate world, no matter what corporation it is, because we're just limited there. We play a specific role. If we're fortunate, it's a very broad and challenging role like yours was, but somebody else still dictates what it is that you will work on or how far you can go with something. That's absolutely right. I already see the course of my future business evolving in so many different ways. 
I, in, in 20 years, I think I'll be doing 80% speaking and 10% coaching and 10% online programs. And you do not have the opportunity in most corporate positions to evolve like that. So yeah. I do appreciate it. Love that. Love that. All right. Uh, we talked about books and we love books uh, because of the time. Tell me one book that you think you would recommend to us. If you are looking to um, optimize your performance in so many different aspects of the word, I would suggest Tools of the Titans, which is Tim Ferriss's book. It's a giant one. It's probably 500 pages, but it shares snippets of many different people's stories. And I've been loving reading that. Yeah, I have not tackled that one yet. Is it a book that I can read, you know, kind of jump around in or do I, because big books scare me, you know, big physical books <laughs> because yes, I, I, I attempt to read multiple books at the same time. So tell me about that. I, I do too. Um, I read for pleasure, a fiction book as I'm falling asleep. I read a <laughs> business or nutrition book in the morning and tools of the Titans is sitting on my desk. I just flip it open when I have five minutes and I read a little story. They take five to 10 minutes and then you move on. So yes, you can do that. Sure. Perfect. Love that. Great recommendation. We'll have a link to that as well as to Megan's book on the show notes page for this episode at the how We'll wrap it up here with the last two questions. What's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had today, particularly as it relates to that that transition, that journey from being in the corporate world and the perceived safety that gives us to venturing on to be your own boss? I think it goes back to believing in yourself firm up the plans, be smart and strategic about uh, the path that you're going to follow. But then once you have those ground that groundwork laid, believe that you can do it and don't let anything stand in your way. When you find that voice saying, I doubt myself, I wonder if, then just shut that down and keep plowing forward. I believe everyone can be an entre be a successful entrepreneur. It's the mindset that stops us. So don't let that stand in your way. Love that. And where would you like us to go online to find out more? Thelionshare.org is my website that has uh, all the coaching information, the health coaching information. And then lionsharecoachingacademy.com has the build a business information along with a free step-by-step -step webinar on how I built my business. So those would be two good places to go. Perfect. And, and Lion is like her last name, L-Y-O-N-S. And we'll also have a link to those sites on the show notes page to this episode. Well, Megan, this has been a great conversation. Uh, it went a little longer than I had planned because it was just so much great information. We could talk for another couple hours. Thanks for sharing your journey and sharing the details of that. It really resonated with me and I'm sure with our audience. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me. This is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. My guest again today was Megan Lyons. We release new episodes every Mondays, and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.